Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your podcast of stalking the night fantastic in a whole new millennia. Gosh, I mean, uh, can I get it on my cell phone? This week we're talking about the changes, uh, the vision, whatever we can come up with, with what we think the Bureau 13, the next edition of Bureau 13 should have. Because it's been through a lot of different editions at this point, and there's different ways of playing it. But if we're going to play it in the 21st century, then there's got to be some changes, and we need to basically get them out on the table so that everybody has a chance to comment on them and to approve them. So that's the main reason what we're doing here, and we're looking forward to doing it. Uh, I've done about 10 talking points, but there's a bunch of other things. One thing I was thinking about, you know, we talk about the technology and so forth. If the Ardani knew where to land in the White House lawn, the most important thing you'd have on board the ship is not, is not the FTL technology. It's not anything else. It's the med bay. Oh, the auto dock? Oh. Yes. That would be that would be gone over with a fine tooth comb and the research grants, trying to figure out how that thing works, or at least something that comes close to how that thing works. Because that thing is sort of like the dock box in Fringeworthy. It cures what ails you. It resurrects you up to a week dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. That's God. Well, the Enchanty did do God tech essentially. Yeah. Yeah. We're oh, not no, talking right? about frozen a week and brought back from the dead. We're talking about laying moldering for a week and brought back yeah. from the dead. Oh no, you know, you know that Ray Oh no, you know that Ray Robertson getting his hands on the Ardana new. You'd never see him again. He would never leave. You never see the Ardana new either. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, we gave yeah, we gave Professor Robinson, you know, we 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 had him we had him implanted. No. <laughs> you we uploaded Professor Robinson into the mainframe. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thought that was a good idea. Yeah. Famous last words, yeah. Okay, number five. Tech should be significantly advanced over current tech. We've already kind of touched on this. Probably similar to Farscape. Aw, yeah. And way beyond leverage. Tech should be very reliable if modern and yeah, less... leverage, by the way, is that television show. Yeah, leverage with uh, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, right. Because he, I mean, because the tech on there was very good. They had never a problem with communicating with each other. They have massive, you know, computer screens. They had they had they had no trouble setting up identities. They had no trouble, you know, backing up anything that they wanted to do. And that's the sort of thing that the bureau should be able to do for its agents. Yeah, mission mission impossible for the twenty first century. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Bruce, we 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 have had this discussion, and you know, I rate things by the 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 future SRD tech levels. 
Bureau, we're normal PL5 on the cusp, just shy of PL6. I deem Bureau Tech high PL7 on the cusp of 8. PL8 is cutting edge for the Bureau. That's the stuff that Robertson deals with. So there's already that tech disparity there. And yeah, that is something that should be played into more that high tech should be a very big part of the Bureau. That, and so let's see, tech should be very reliable if modern, unless there's supernatural elements, gremlins, anti-tech fields, local reality sets that prevent their operations. That said, super tech should be very powerful but quirky because it might incorporate tech that isn't native or natural to this world. The universe might react to it, so the equivalent of a tricorder may cause a rainstorm every time it's used. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I, I do like that, the fact that, yeah, we use this technology. Problem is because Earth has, let's say Earth has certain elements, oh, in its atmosphere, or the magnetic field is different. Yeah, the technology does work here, but... It ruins cell reception every time you turn on the tricorder to scan something. Right, yeah. You may be able to scan energy signatures for a half mile, but... Within that half mile, no one can get cell, can, can get cell, cell reception. Yeah, and like you might short out older you know, fuse boxes and homes and stuff. Yeah, but still, yeah, I think tech should be... I've, I've already said that the tech is already significantly enhanced over normal tech. By about that two le- that two tech level spread, and so probably similar to Farscape. Farscape, me being a, a escaper since the beginning, it's a lot of biotech because their blaster cartridges is due to something known as chalkin oil. It's a bioreaction from this oil that elicits the energy charge that comes out of the pistol. And, of course, you know, Leviathans, biomechanical. They are living, but they it's a techno-organic ship. So, yeah, biotech and techno-organic. And I would think that an, an, another reason why they would have that, the trade agreement with IDET. Because you know they have to deal with biotech because of the fact that that's the only thing that works on the fringe paths other than steam, animal-powered, or... People powered. So you know they'd be getting a lot of biotech type stuff from Unita yes. through State Talbot. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. And whoever else shows up. I mean, you know, Unita's not the only uh, only you know folks in town. Oh right, yeah, but I'm just saying because of especially in Fringeworthy's late campaign, Unita would have massive amounts of biotech, not only stuff found on Termellern and Commonwealth worlds but stuff that Earth Prime has reverse-engineered that they can use themselves. So, yeah, I see biotech being incorporated into the Bureau. Absolutely, yes. And almost as a... And I'm not talking like biotech, like augmenting the agents. Like, yeah, we grew, you know, we like spliced hawk DNA into your eyes so that way then you see better. No, I'm talking things like biologically created body armor. Um, Ooh, carbon nanoweave under the skin. Yeah, yeah, things like, I'm not talking so much bionics and biotech that is implanted within you. 
but even bioengineered knockout toxins that you could sit there and add to uh, knockout darts that come out of a watch or whatever. All that type of stuff. Oh, yeah, and there's various things that uh, they're, they're biological and technical, and they you know, produce... You know, your cu- you, you think uh, uh, K, 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 K cups are bad? Imagine the the bio the biological version of that. Taking research services, yeah, should be available to agents in the field over encrypted lines, bounce from the moon, so that you can call Ray's daughter if you want. But more often than not, you'd get one of her dweeby assistants. That's one of the things I always had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Is that agents were basically on their own and. Contact with not only other eight other cells, but bureau higher ups was always very cryptic and very distant. I would think after forty years, that link between the higher ups and their agents would increase because the bureau would use the means at their disposal to enhance communication and still keep themselves hidden. In other words, you have, you know, like Charlie, the voice from the box, using the old Charlie's Angels thing. Or, as I said, bounced off the moon. You would have, you know, just such radical forms of communication that they are super encrypted. You would have to have multiple forms of decryption in order to intercept bureau communications because the bureau higher-ups are that damn paranoid. But you would have more communication and more tech support and more ability to, we need to send this into Ray and Ramona to figure out what this is. Yeah, and and don't forget, we also said during, we were talking about the Bangor, Maine and the day, day in the training, you know, day in the year training. Uh, yeah. A lot of those trainers are, field agents who basically have survived long enough and so this not knowing who's out there kind of goes away with time you know there's that one you know when you get four times four times a year you get this training you get to start knowing a lot of these other 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 teams because you're all there for refresher courses and also the character the character that amber Rowe made serendipity the 3600 year old half succubus half egyptian princess She's there at Bangor, Maine. You're going to want that communication with her where, okay, get in the encryption. We need to call serendipity. We've got this arcane artifact that we found. She would know it better than anyone. And then you call in serendipity and she just, yeah, well, it's this from this era and it does this, this, and this. And whatever you do, don't get it wet. You know, you need to have not only the research services, but you also need to have instantaneous communication for magical purposes not just tech and research but also we found this magical thing or we this guy can do this spell one of our agents got turned to stone how do we reverse that yeah there's this problem there's a problem with the t- most with the Tutankhamun exhibit being traveling around the country is leaving behind people wrapped up in bandages. You know anything about that? You were in Egypt at one time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. It, it's something besides the tech and research services. Contact with Bangor, Maine and the higher-ups about magical stuff. And as I said, that's why I brought in Serendipity to 
that's somebody else we need to bring into the next thing. Again, someone non-statted like Ray Robertson and JP. Serendipity, since we've added her to canon, say, okay, we have a tech contact. We have a, oh, crap, we're in trouble. We need this. Here's our magical higher up. This is somebody who is serendipity. As I said, the the half succubus, half Egyptian princess character that Amber Rowe came up with a few years ago. I helped her create it uh, back in 2011. So have her into the fold now. Serendipity. Serendipity do. Yeah. And it's it's Saren as in the nerve gas. S-A-R-I-N. Dippity. That's how she spelled it. But bring her into one of these like J.P. Withers and Ray Robertson put her in that new friends category and explain who she is, what she knows about, how she can help you if you, you know, when you're able to contact her. Yeah, and, and the thing we said during the Bangor Main that Bangor Main is only is at, at worst no more than two hours away by car. You can always find some way to get to it. See, I and 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 Bruce and I do the okay, you put the card slide your bureau card through a card reader and the door will lead you to Bangor, Maine. So yeah, we've had differing ways on that, John. We that's your way. We've had we've had differing ways to get to Bangor, Maine. I think we've established that a while. And, and clean and clean the, the you have you have some chalk, you had to find a wall, draw draw a door, put a knob on it, say the words, now it's the door to Bangor, Maine. Okay, there are different ways that I think we can chalk that up to GM preference. Yes. Number eight, all agents should be extremely tech-savvy unless they have a backstory that precludes it. This is something that Josie brought up to me yesterday, because what are all the millennials doing these days that you've seen? Oh, God. Everybody and their brothers on their silly little tablets tapping and (laughs) staring and talking and my own freaking younger siblings, okay? I have a younger brother and a younger sister, all right? They don't move their faces from the tablet when they're talking to you. Well, yeah, that that could be a problem, Joe. I looked down at my tablet and just said that to her. I just saw the look on her face. Wow, the middle finger even. That's impressive. Okay. um, You kids, get off my lawn! Yeah, yeah. Turn down that music, Josie. Anyways. Hey, my music is not the problem. Yeah, but this is something she brought up yesterday, and it was a good point. These millennials, I have in my hand here, and again, it's a smartphone. It's an HTC Evo. It's a three-year-old model. But still, a phone that size with bureau tech in it, oh, the stuff that you could do with it when Robertson puts stuff into it. And the fact that, okay. You think the stuff you can do with it now is, is cool, insane? Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm going to give a, a differential difference here, a, a, a generational differential here. My generation, I'm going to be 47. I was raised entirely on TV. My daughter's generation is raised, has been raised from birth, computers in their lives fully. My daughter has the potential to learn more about computers than I will ever know, as do most 20-somethings. They are going to be extremely tech-savvy just by it being in their lives as a matter of necessity. Yeah, they're, they're all buried in their phones, 
but you know full well this new technology that's out there. These new young agents are going to be doing things with technology that the agents of my age, they won't have any idea to do. A lot of your tech geeks on your team are going to be these newer agents. Because Just because they know the text so well, it's so intrinsic. Grown, they've grown up with this. Yeah, exactly. So they know it. In and out. It's, it's like me trying to explain... It's like trying to explain certain things about the game I was playing to us. Right. Right. I know so much more about it. Because you've been immersed into it more. I've... I've been in it more often, so I know things, and I think I've said it, but I haven't. Well, the thing is, and that's what I mean, people of your and my daughter's generation, my daughter Shelly is two years younger than you are, you're 24, she's 22. Something like that. Yeah, but they've just been so immersed with computers and smartphones and tablets and iPads and and me, I had a Commodore 64 as a kid. And I'm dating myself right there with that. Being tech savvy, all agents should be extremely tech savvy unless they have a backstory that precludes it. You're a 40-something. <laughs> there. You're or your time savvy. slipped. Well, yeah, that too. But, I mean, that's without bringing in any type of fantastic background to your story. Right. If well, that's what I'm are, saying. You have to have a backstory that precludes it. Right. If you are... Mr. and Mrs. Joe America, and you're, let's say you're playing, okay, here's a campaign, a, a mini campaign model. You're an older agent, the rest of your team are all 20-somethings. You not only have to deal with training them, you have to deal with the generation gap. You've got five or six agents that are now your partners, and the running joke is telling them to get off your lawn and turn down their music, and or, get your heads out of the iPads. And back when I was a young age, you're or going to have you're all old that. enough to be my dad. Right? Exa- I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that look. <laughs> but still, that would be a good campaign model because of the fact that here you have this agent. I mean, this guy is—he's been, you know, in gunfights and sword fights, and he, you know, he may have been out flying a space fighter and a, and a thing. And here you got all these young kids who are operating drones and everything, and the older agent is just going, whatever happened to just going up and shooting the guy? You're flying an Amazon drone over there to, you know, drop a, a, a bunker buster on him. And it reminds me of the bit in Skyfall. Not the, the movie, the James Bond movie before Spectre. When, you, when Bond is there in the museum and meets the very young Q for the first time, and they have the discussion about, I'm the guy that's sitting in my robe and pajamas at a keyboard, and with a press of a key, I've dispatched someone who could be a threat to crown and country. And Bond goes, and I'm the guy for when that computer doesn't work. I have to go out and do the job. Oh, 007, hi, yes, I'm Q. I'm your new quartermaster. You're going to have that generational difference because Bond, you know, Daniel Craig's like in his 40s, and um, Ben Warshaw is the young actor who plays the new Q. He's 20-something. So, again, you're going to have that older agent who is more hands-on, and you've got all these young kids who are so tech-savvy 
you might have to deal with the thing that, yeah, they've been in training, but now they're out in the field and they got to get their hands dirty. They don't have, they can just push a button or do an app and do something. They got to be in an actual gunfight. And here's this older agent going, see, this is real agent work. You tap it on your iPads. Yeah, fine. That would be a fantastic campaign model. That would be something I would love you listeners to give me give us feedback back on. Yeah. And we will discuss how to go about giving us that feedback later. But that would be a great campaign model, that generation gap of all these young, hip, 20-something, tech-savvy agents with a member of the old guard as their new team leader. That would be fantastic to hear about. I kind of do that now. When I, whenever I game on a local group, I am the old man. Everyone else is about 10, 12, 10, 20 years younger than I am. <laughs> hey, hey, hey I, my first computer was a Trash 80, TRS 80. Oh, no, I remember them. Radio Shack. Oh, no, I remember oh, them. Yeah, back in the 70s. And, you know, and I couldn't realize that my phone has more computing power than what NASA had. When it's yeah. man to the moon in 1969. All of NASA's computers. I have oh, yeah. more memory than NASA had in 1969. Oh, oh, no, no, I get that. I get that. And see, that generational difference in what we deal with with technology, and I'm going to say this, I, I'm not trying to be ageist here, the youngins have now, and what I deal with, and there are still times, as I said, I've had this, this is my second HTC Evo that I have. I've been dealing with this particular model for three years, and there's still things I'm trying to dope out on this phone. And I got younger coworkers going, do this, 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 and this. I'm like, do you have a life that you learn this? You know, and I come off as a bit of a curmudgeon. And just, yeah, you're gonna have these young people who to that older agent, he's gonna come off as a bit of a curmudgeon. Yeah, he knows about gunfights in the old days, but we're the ones doing all the tech stuff that's making our lives easier because they are just up to their necks in all the new tech. So, yeah, that would be a really good campaign model. And uh, I believe the fourth Die Hard movie had to deal with the fact that Bruce, uh, John McClane, didn't know how to even change the ringtone on his phone. And so he had the young tech geek there helping him out in that movie and there was that generational gap. There were that's a pretty good example of the campaign model I just gave. But these new these older agents are going to have to learn the newer tech because it's just the way of the future. It's 21st century bureau 13. You're going to have have these 40, 50 year old agents realizing, okay, I need to learn how to use a smartphone. I need to learn how to use a tablet. I need to know what an app is and what these apps do, and just. I think, I think actually the wristwatch may end up going the way of the dodo. Personally, everything might just be relegated to a smartphone, or it's happening. Oh, not really, because there are those smartwatches oh, that are going God. around, and the Google glasses and everything. Yes, yeah. so you see, could. Yeah, still- I, I can see the glasses being useful. I can see the phone being useful. I don't see the we watch. Everything the that the watch does can be done on the phone. Yeah, well, yeah, Bruce, we've already got the, the curling glasses and they hook up to the watch. So, I mean, yeah, we already have a version of the Google Glasses already. It's just there's the running joke of you're there walking by somebody with Google Glasses on and you yell something like, 
but let's just say something rather obscene and all of a sudden it comes up on their feed. And they're like, no, 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 I didn't want to see that. There are things like that, which, you know, just, I'm not going to, you know, you fill in the blanks of what type of thing you could yell at somebody yeah. wearing Google glasses. Yeah. No, it's not. But in case of the bureau, it wouldn't be you wouldn't have Google glasses. You actually would probably have contact lenses that do the same thing. Even better, yeah. But I mean, let's face it. There's some people that can't wear contact lenses, like myself. I have one round lens, one oval lens, and I'll do the voice here. Despite the great advances in contact lens technology, I still have to wear glasses. I mean, I could go the LASIK route. You're going to have to have the glasses still around. Yeah. Uh, my my optometrist told me I can't wear glasses because I have a, a vigorous blink reflex. Well, yeah, would, you, and you mentioned your eye drama already before we came on. So, yeah, you, I understand you wouldn't be able to wear contacts. So, yeah, you'd still have to have the glasses around, not just for the older agents, but just there are certain people. Now, this is barring you using Bureau Science and Technology to get rid of those problems so then you can do the contacts. But let's face it, 50-year-old people, a lot of older people are not used to contact lenses and they're just not going to want to do them. You're still going to want to have some of the technology in stuff to make the job easier for the more mature agent, let's put it that way. Because if they're going to be spending time fumbling using their technology, that could kill them. They need to be able to get that technology, boom, use it, because in the life of a bureau agent, seconds count. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. A lot that, of these things. Yeah. Tech savvy is one thing, but also make the tech so everybody can use it quickly. You may have to have different versions of the same tech, like the older agents might prefer the glasses. Just tell them, okay, we've added a bunch of new functions to these glasses, and this is how you activate them. Yeah. If you give it to them in a format give that's it, easy to use... Give it to them in a format that they're used to, right. that they can use quickly. Just teach them the new functions. Yeah. I, and it will. it should work. Yeah. There, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, despite the old adage. Uh, yeah, I know. And play of that one, the, the previous point we had, the more powerful version of this would be somebody who actually has gotten an implant over his cortical, over his optical the center of his brain. He doesn't need glasses. He doesn't need contacts. So basically, got, a heads up. Basically, a HUD appears in the eyeball. Yeah. Well, does he appear in his eyeball? It basically appears in his vision, not necessarily his eyeballs, because it's, it's attached to his optical system. So he actually has closer to uh, direct neural implants. No, he actually will have direct neural implants. It doesn't even hit the optic nerve. It's in the vision center of the brain. Okay, yeah, I could see that. But of course, there'll be the quirky kind, though, that doesn't work all the time. It needs upgrades. And all of a sudden, he goes, okay, guys, I can't do anything. Why? I blue screened. I can't see anything. <laughs> Well, okay. That's not a time for your system to crash, John. Trust me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no. Trav. Okay, you're, you're talking about implants here. Okay, you know, and you, and you talk about the eyes. I mean, you know, what the problem we have right now? The reason we need corrective eyes, um, you know, glasses and things like that is because our eyeball shape doesn't isn't a perfect circle. Right. 
Okay. And so we use lenses to create, you know, a perfectly round idea to, to hit our retina. Well, if you have an implant that has advanced video processing, then it basically can take that image and correct it so that somebody using just their native eyes can now see 2015. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're 2010. Well, I'm, I'm, 2015 is pretty good, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and they could add more stuff, too, on top of that. You could have, you know, better edge detection. You could have friend or foe indicators. You could do the whole HUD thing that you're talking about. But you could also relegate it just as a simple thing where it just simply takes the image that's coming from your eye and corrects it to so that it looks perfect now, even though that image was, wasn't originally perfect. Mm, okay. And the other things you can do also, you can also do all, when you say HUD, I actually am thinking more along of augmented reality. When you're walking down the street, you're looking and everyone gets telltales, you know, you're you're hooked up to the bureau computers at that point. So you look at somebody and it does facial recognition and goes, okay, that person's name's Joe Smith. That's Jane Smith's wife. There's his kids, you know, and it just, you get telltales. Okay. So you're kind of like referring to Sherlock, Magnuson, mm-hmm. it was his mind that was doing it because that's just how his mind palace worked. But yeah. you saw him looking at a person and all that information just scrolled down about him. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. So, so you can focus on somebody and it'll give you a detailed profile. And then, of course, everything stuff and goes, no data on this person. That's the person you want to talk to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Uh, We'll skip, we'll get down to number nine. They should run into competing agencies a lot more, some good, some neutral, some very evil. Uneasy alliances should be the norm. Within black ops circles, the supernatural and the existence of agencies like the Bureau should be open secrets. Yeah, we're not, after 40 years, we're not so isolated anymore. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that, that is something I agree should be changed. You're going to know about... The Bureau, and we mentioned this earlier, the Bureau and the Shadow Works may work together on certain things because they do have a common goal. It's just the Shadow Works are going to be a lot nastier toward the supernatural than the Bureau is. There will be some friction, and there are going to be times where one is going to have to concede to the other. There are going to be some times where they're going to come up on a supernatural instance, and the Shadow Works are saying, okay, you know what? One, you're, let's try to coddle them. It's archaic, antiquated. Two, these guys are a threat. And the Bureau is going to have to realize, yeah, we're going to have to take them out. As much as we want to try to help them in the long run, this is, we, we're going to have to be rather draconian about it. And there are going to be times where the shadow works are going to be like, kill it, kill it before it grows. And the Bureau is going to be like, no, you don't understand you take it out, something worse might come in. If we leave this here and we reason with it, we won't have to deal with it again. If we take it out now, who knows what will fill its place. And the Shadow Works will have to realize, damn, they're right. So, uh, That's the thing. Um, better the devil you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, also the, let's see, good, some neutral, some evil. Also, in Bureau 13D20, we had a lot of international-based agencies. Some of them were government-based, 
Some of them were private organizations. Some of them were religious organizations like orders of monks or or Hindu holy men or Chinese uh, Buddhist monks. Opus Dei. They always didn't have the same agenda as the Bureau. Yeah, they all dealt with the supernatural, but again, they had different methods. Sometimes we were with them. Sometimes we were against them. Well, actually, I'm thinking of border issues because both you and me are near. We're both near the Canadian border, so it's quite possible you have a team chasing after a supernatural and he hits the border. Well, yeah, and that, and remember, Canada does have a chapter of the RCMP that deals with the supernatural. That is in Bureau thirteen twenty. That was always a problem, John. What's what's your point? Well, I'm pointing out in this new, more enlightened era, do you, you know, just keep running across, give them a call, say, hey, yeah, we're chasing after so-and-so, or do you stop at the border and go call the, call them and let them know they got the so-and-so out there? But Because we're talking about more, co- more cooperation. Here's the thing, John. With the level of technology we're talking about being in this game, we can call them ahead of time and say, oh, crap, they're heading toward Canada. You better call, you know, the Mounties over there and tell them that they may have a visitor coming and be prepared. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking that there would be a lot, like, if especially with like with the way I run regional teams, there'd be more They would know them more often. They would know who's in charge and who's there, and there'd be a lot more cooperation between them, especially when they have to hand hand, hand off a supernatural that decided to cross the border illegally. Oh, no, I, I, I agree, John. The fact that because we have the enhanced communication that we can contact the, oh, uh, we'll use the term, the magic Mounties to, <laughs> it's true. They're Mounties. That it's just funny magic. sounding. It's good. The I magic agree. Mounties. Yeah. Anyways, hey, hey, I coined Playtex effect before for that. So I'm, you know, every so often, you know, blind squirrel finds it out once in a while. Um, the Magic Mounties, you call them, and they're like, okay, we've called them, they're heading there. If they cross the border, they're ready to take them. And you know how the Mounties are. They always get their man. If anything, the RCMP is very diligent. So you know if they cross that border, yeah, they'll get them. Now, now harking back on working with organizations and agencies, if the Bureau goes public... You will get organizations like, well, let's call a certain franchise Ghostbusters. A commercial organization designed to deal with, you know, uh, you know, spiritual, res- you know, spiritual infestations in, ho- in homes and so forth. Yeah. That's why I was talking about, you know, like, Merck specialists about certain types of supernatural instances. Yeah, so you get these guys. You get you get the you know, they they can't call themselves Ghostbuster because that's a trademark by uh, was it Paramount I think, uh, but uh, and the late Harold Ramis, and but yeah, yeah, you get organizations like that who basically they're companies, they're franchises, and they basically show up to deal with a supernatural event. And the bureau's going, yeah, guys, can't you stand over there and not get in trouble? You know, yeah, and you run into things like that, and of course, you can always play it the from the other point of view. You're the franchise, and there's these bureau guys telling you to go stand there in the corner. Well, no, it's funny because yeah, you got these backpack proton packs. Here comes a guy with a proton pack about the size of a cell phone. Yeah, this is cute. Pew. The the ghost gets sucked up into the cell phone. See you later. And Ghostbusters are like, 
jerks. <laughs> Actually, that does mean there is going to be. A, a, hey, you know, talking about Ghostbusters, there will be an agency who will actually will start making everyone's lives miserable. The EPA <laughs> and, and OSHA, and now, uh, now I'm of that uh, whole <laughs> that whole bit with uh, that guy Templeton Peck, or no, that Templeton Peck, Richard Peck. Peck Peck was the was the name, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's true. This man, yeah, well, Wally Woodchuck, yeah. <laughs> but no, you're going to have that's true. And then, of course, people like Mike Bonkowski, our OSHA representative for the bureau, they're going to become a lot more prevalent because, okay, yeah, that supernatural goop that you found there in that sewer. Yeah, we're gonna have to call in this yeah, OSHA to see, you know, if it's gonna deal with the Con Ed guys and you know the health effects on them. Yeah, we can't have you know this jerky sitting there, you know, walking around in this muck. You know, you have to wait for the EPA inspectors to show up to to, to make sure this is going to be a level, a level thirteen cleanup. Right, exactly. You're gonna have to when when the bureau goes out and about public. You're going to have to deal with that because, yeah, okay, the Bureau's just dealing with it. Yeah, we get rid of it. No, if this is all public, you're going to be calling in EPA, OSHA, MDOT, because let's say you're cleaning up this mess. Handling toxic chemicals is part of the U.S. Department of Transportation. My job that I work at in an auto parts warehouse, oh. I have to park, pack things a certain way or otherwise... And they have to be listed on the truck that we have these chemicals on board. Because let's say one of our trucks has an accident and there's a spill. The the easiest way to tell what's on it is by the supply the crews they have. Exactly. And it's the global harmonization system. This and, is training I've had to do because I pack chemicals. And that's why when you have to have them on there. When um, you're dealing with supernatural stuff, if you're, if you're having to ship a truckload of that pink goo like in Ghostbusters 2... Yeah, OSHA and EPA and that would U- be, US dot all see, have that to would come be a play. whole that would be a whole new method, no whole new section of hazmat training. Yes, which I know what goes into that because Brian just had to take that test. That recently. would be her roommate, my former roommate. Yeah. Oh yeah, he would. Yeah, that's he, right. He's he an had to driver. actually take the test again to get yeah. to. Renew the certification. And I had to do that certification. I have to do it every year as part of my job because I handle chemicals right. all day. So, yeah, the fact that you have all these new substances such as ectoplasm and ichor, that's all going to have to be taken into account. And how about the large, uh, the, the large protoplasmic blob that you froze in solid? It's, you know, it's 10 feet tall and probably weighs several tons, and it's got to be taken somewhere before it eats some more people. And here's another thing. Things like alien eggs that are found. You have to find things like... um, Oh, the SPCA. God. The animal control officer. The poor animal control officers. Eggs and whatnot. That's things like Department of Agriculture, FDA. I mean, these are things that, yeah, you got to deal with that. You know, there's a lot of government agencies that are going to have to change their views because the supernatural is coming to play. Agents should have cool cars that have cool gadgets in them. Far more than in the current book, see Car Wars, Knight Rider, James Bond. Oh, yeah, well, we already have the Colorado, which is all decked out with yeah. 
Okay, that's the only one that's cool. Okay, the rest of them, you've got like a motorcycle, you got a four by four, you got the economy vehicle. Other than armor, these things don't have anything on them that makes them sound impressive in any way. Oh no, and we have oh, no. and Bruce, we've got cars now that are like oh yes, and now this new Ford Focus comes with Microsoft blah, blah, Sync. Blah, blah. I have a friend of mine, I call her Inc. I call her my tech gal because she does she's done work on my computers before she moved out to San Francisco to work at Apple. This woman hacked her own Prius and downloaded Linux into it. Okay. Having cars <laughs> like that that you have supercomputers in the dash would be incredible because then you can add the sensors. You could have your, your passenger in your car while you're driving, operating a drone to help you track down somebody running. Yeah, we do need more tech in the other vehicles other than the Colorado. Oh, this is something I thought was I was, I was being uh, cutting edge until I actually saw it. Uh, chameleon skin. There's actually I've seen I've seen I've actually seen vehicles with a prototype chameleon skin. So the Bureau's got it full fledged. So, so Team Fremont, uh, they actually have a collection of vehicles from the uh, from the SUVs to the panel van and, and the, uh, the the minivan and all that stuff. All of them equipped with you know all the various devices and chameleon skins, so they can change the color of the vehicles. Uh, do you two remember the old '90s TV series? I believe it was NBC Viper. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, you have the chameleon skin and all that stuff. And it was funny because they fashioned it after the Pontiac Viper that was out for a few years. So it was kind of like, yeah, this is an hour-long product placement for Pontiac. So that would be something else, yeah. Yeah, the panel van, I've seen it disguised from all sorts of things, including from, the, uh, the of course, the, the van for the Fremont uh, low-tie review. Uh, up into someone's someone's version of a modern day Scooby van, mystery 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 vehicle, mystery machine, mystery machine. Yeah, there you go, mystery machine. Yeah. Do you two remember the old cartoon Charlie Chan and the Chan Clan, where they had the with the buttons that would change the vehicle entirely? <laughs> oh, look! I've also introduced modular module side panels, so that if they need to, they can yank off panels and put on new panels. <laughs> and now I'm thinking of Johnny Dangerously with the contact paper. <laughs> and this one has duckies and bunnies. <laughs> and they all can run silent because none of them actually have gasoline engines. They all fake it. Well, yeah, I mean, the cars would have, at the very least, electric engines. And we're talking things like hydrogen fuel cells and... Just all sorts of stuff. Yes, they all should have high high end computers. They all should have things like chameleon skin and 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 not just run flat. Basically, you'd have to use a, a RPG on, on the on the tires to take make them go flat. Did any of you guys ever read the novel Snow Crash? Mm, no. Okay. Remember the uh, uh, the skateboards and the motorcycle? Yes. Oh, that's right. We can actually have real hoverboards now. They weren't real hoverboards. What they were was, uh, they, they instead of wheels, they had extrudable fibers that would rea- that would uh, in real time react 
to the distance you know, between the, uh, the ground and the actual hub so that they would retract and move and adjust themselves constantly. So no matter what terrain you were going over, it was as if you were flying over it, as if you maintained a constant height uh, or whatever. And, and, and they, they could go over any kind of terrain like that. And, and there, was, there was no inflatable anything. I mean, it was, these were fibers. So yeah, I guess if you if you managed to blow them apart, then you could do that. But it'd be pretty hard to do that because explosions would tend to go through the fibers because they're not actually solid. Yeah, I'm also thinking of the um, variable friction tires from that one no- uh, the one trucker novel, that one space trucker novel, where the guy had to drive through the portals, and the tires all had were variable frictions. They could it could alter the friction coefficient of the tires, so basically, yeah, you get to get something similar. It, you know, depending on what you're going over, you can vary the friction so that it, it accommodates the terrain you're on. So you have all these different solutions for the for much the same thing. Right. Um, I mean, you could have the Mach Five, yeah. which, which, by the way, had a drone had a drone thing and had a lot of the things we're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, bulletproof uh, windows and uh, the ability to jump the car uh, up into the air a certain amount of distance. And I love the movie. Okay, I did too. I don't it, care what anybody says. It is a perfect example of carfu. Yes, <laughs> absolutely carfu. Okay. And finally, number eleven. Since yeah, we've been going for a while here. Almost all teams will be mixed. All human teams will be rare. In the Bureau, yeah, that would be things. Shadow works. No, no, you're having all human teams. Yes, definitely they would be all human. After 40 years of integrating vampire, uh, reformed vampires and werewolves and aliens and your occasional leprechaun, freaks, yeah, all these supernatural beings would be doing their best to fit into Bureau teams it's true. All human teams would be very rare. Yeah. At the minimum, you might have out of six human, uh, six people, five humans and one supernatural. In other teams, you might be the lone human. Uh, uh, did we say we said it before? Shadow Run. It almost sounds like a Shadow Run team. <laughs> well, yeah, you're going to have such a varied heterogeneous team because they bring so much to the table and having supernatural creatures on a bureau team, that's another previous episode. Um, But yeah, the all human teams, it's true. Not only would you have these multi-generational teams, you would have these, and this term here, it's a term I've heard, multi-culti for multicultural. And by cultural, I mean various races. You would have leprechauns, vampires, werewolves, humans, time travelers, you know, just all these various different things that the Bureau has access to, and they throw them together in a team to cover as many possible situations as actually, could be. Yeah, we were talking about tech savvy. That actually could be a reason why the person doesn't know anything about the technology. They're, they're a 2,000 euro elf. They look at the cell phone going, no. <laughs> <laughs> And if but they you know, exist in an all in an altered reality set, it may truly not exist for them. Yeah, or it may, if it, if they held it, it stops functioning. <laughs> that too, yeah, that could be a thing too. 
Yeah, so yeah, they, they pulled their planet tier instead. Said I can do this this way, you know. <laughs> or the elves might, or that two thousand year old elf might have the techno magic cell phone because yeah, tech doesn't work around them. But you give them that techno magic cell phone that, and I'm I'm blanking on the name of the bureau's uh, R and D magic division. Magnus was the psi. No, Geller was the psi. The Magnus division. The Magnus makes a techno-magic cell phone for magical beings that technology fritzes on. And you're finding out that if you train that elf, he can be just as good with his techno-magic as you are with your HTC or your iPhone. Though he will, so he will fall back to you know using moonbeams and fairy and 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 thistle thistle down to send messages someplace, but you know. It happens. Well, that's fine, but I mean, if it's there in the middle of, if he's in the middle of downtown Seattle, the point is drawing a ritual circle is not going to be exactly inconspicuous. Yeah. The the point is, he'll know how to use what he needs to in a given situation. Right. Right. But when he doesn't have to, he'll fall back on what he knows. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and he may also be able to use tech, but he has to use it through a, uh, what's the right word? Um, uh, um, not a totem. A um, um, it's when you have something that this is a magical term. When you have something that is that represents something. So you, a you fetish. Can't, well, no, not a fetish. He basically, he can't use a cell phone, but he has a piece of wood with all the things on it, all the icons on it. He can hit those icons, and it functions just like the cell phone does. But it isn't a cell phone. It's just a um. Oh, not a fetish. It's a um. I can't remember the word for it. Yeah, would be a totem, would be a fetish. Totem fetish. It's a, it's re, it basically it, it represents the phone. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's a term. I'm blanking on it too. I'm but yeah, sure that something. that elf. Yeah, he could do that, and due to whatever enchantments is put on that representation, it could do the same thing. Yeah, but that would be massive magical work on that. He may say no. I'm, I'm I'm just associated this piece of wood with all these icons with that phone. It's not massive magic. It's just simply uh, it's simply sympathetic magic. As it sympathetic magic is sympathetic magic where you use something that is like the thing. So he has a basically a voodoo doll that's a cell phone. Hmm. Okay, I suppose that could work. But yeah, um, the teams would be mixed because the bureau would be so well versed in. Dwarmer diversity, I guess, would be the term. They are used to magical beings being in their midst. They're not specious. It would be just like fringeworthy. Very few mad the the IDET alien corps. Their one of their main jobs is to help integrate these other races into Earth Prime human teams. The Bureau would do the same thing and probably even take that idea from IDET. Colonel Talbot would say, "Okay, I have this idea." Let's start integrating supernatural beings into the teams more. It worked for the Alien Corps. Let's see how it works here. And after 40 years of dealing with supernatural beings on a daily basis, yeah, we've got a a vampire here. We've got the blood supply. We're good. As long as he drinks once a day, yeah, he's got our backs. And it's just a matter of course. You become so comfortable with the supernatural that having non-human members on your team, it's like, oh, okay, fine. 
Yeah, we got a werewolf. Oh, darn. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, uh, you mentioned Major, Ta- is it Major Talbot? Yeah, Colonel Talbot, Colonel Shea Talbot. She can get a hold of things. Also, she can get visitors who may come along and decide to, you know, imagining a couple um, uh, old men showing up going, yeah, we like to work for the Bureau for a while. We're bored. Challenge accepted, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be another thing. Pe- members of uh, people off the fringe paths integrating with the Bureau team mm-hmm. just for purposes of learning about magic because... They're going to run across worlds where magic exists. What better because... Potential. Another reason how the beer, how Supernatural gets outed. Three Brippings show up with a visitor, and they say they like where they are. Oh, geez, yes. There's a, a Termellon home tree. A Termellon home tree grows in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> or wherever, or Schenectady, or whatever, you know. Oh, but yeah, actually, where is the where is the bureau? Where is the port? Where is the American at least the U.S. portal for the Bureau Thirteen? Orlando, Lake Superior, Massachusetts. A home tree grows in Disney World. A house tree grows in Disney World. <laughs> well, hey, it would fit right in with the old Epcot exhibit. They would think it's you know some part of a natural exhibit. Yeah. Hey. Yep. Yeah. So it fit right in there. <laughs> yep. And Disney has to deal with it, you know. It's not leaving. Yes, it's true. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's not leaving. It's staying here. Yeah, let's yeah. market it. Yeah, they would market it, they yeah. Would, they would definitely market that. And it can defend itself. It won't kill you. Yeah. Here's Bob Iger going, hey, look, this is our newest attraction, the live tree. And this tree is like, get these kids away from me. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lady, your service your service dog just hiked its leg on me. Get that out of here. Yeah. No, he doesn't mind that. You know, it, it might re- it might return the favor though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, John, that dog would never live that down. It has to go back to the dogs and sit there and going, "Yeah, the tree got me back." Dogs <laughs> got to walk around with a paper bag on his head for the rest of his life out of shame. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think we covered the entire list. And we're gone. Um, <laughs> that was a good list, actually, Bruce. That, that, that was a very good list on how to integrate Bureau 13, bring it into the new millennium. Well, good. Uh, you know, if you find, if you think of anything else that should have been on that list that we didn't talk about, and there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. Oh, yeah, like 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 the new recruits will actually have a different mind... would definitely have a different mindset, and they definitely would bristle at the idea of, okay, but that's so 19th century that you're doing. We need... So even so 20th century, yeah. Uh, they would... Well, I think we... And, we t- um... Yeah, they definitely bristle about the mixed generation teams in in general. Well, I think that's that's I brought that up with my whole campaign model of having the one older agent with a bunch of millennials as his new teammates. Yeah, I kind of touched on that. Um, Every spy movie that's ever been made has had some old lion, young lion thing going on. Kingsman. Kingsman was a perfect example. Yeah, I think we did cover pretty much everything that I that here. As I said, this Bruce, this is a this is a very thorough list. That, that I am impressed. Okay, 
Well, uh, for our listeners, if you do see, if there's more stuff you want to talk about, please go to our Facebook group of um, Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere. Post messages post, uh, and let us know what your ideas are, and we will be glad to discuss it further. Some of us have to go to, you know, a- actually have to deal with the real world, so we're going to have to, you know, close this down until the next edition actually officially gets announced, and at which time we will probably be coming over this again. And we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.